Welcome to the Valuation Ultimate Podcast. I'm Trevor Monaghan. I'm a forensic accountant, business valuation specialist. I run my own valuation practice, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Valuation Ultimate software. So why a new podcast? Why a business valuation podcast? Well, if you've worked in and around the valuation industry for long enough, you start realizing there's a lot of bravado, there's a lot of chest beating, a lot of ego. There's not a lot of honesty and integrity about what we do, what part is the actual science, where we have to get it right, what part's the art, where we're allowed to make judgment. Uh, we all run around like the emperor's new clothes, pretending that we've got these magic models that just, you know, hope we don't get questioned on, people just trust us. If you've read, you know, a lot of other values reports, you realize they're all we've got different inconsistencies. People are using different methods or even applying the same method differently. Um, and there's different levels of competence across industry. So the whole point of this podcast is to, to lift all the boats to say, okay, what, what does a base level of competency look like? How can we be completely honest, warts and all? We can talk amongst ourselves. We don't care if people are listening, if lawyers are listening in, our clients are listening, because it's all just the honest truth. And we're just doing the best we can as valuers to get the right valuation outcomes. Okay, so you might be able to tell already, what, so why me? Well, I'm obsessed with business valuations. I spend all my days talking about business valuations to anyone to listen the problem with that is that most people don't care and don't want to listen. So if I'm talking to a spouse or a colleague that's not in the valuation space or a friend, they've got no interest at all, completely disinterested. So if you're listening to this podcast, there's some assumption here that you give some, you know, some care about business valuations and you want to hear more about them. So it's a place where I can talk, you can listen, and we're going to have some great guests coming up and we can all share information or become better valuers together. So this is a community. We're building community here. It's a safe place where we can say what we need to say, obviously not sharing anything confidential, but it's safe to say you don't know something. Okay. So I've prepared over 800 valuation reports. The first 100, I would completely just throw out and had no clue what I was doing because no one taught me properly. The other 700, I've made judgment um, after judgment every at every step. Okay. It wasn't until I started reading textbooks and I started um, applying my craft, you know, in court work where things had to be done properly. It wasn't until then I took it really seriously and started thinking about, well, there's more to this than just calculations. So when I'm training other valuers, one of the first slides I bring up is I talk about that valuations are not a calculation, they're a simulation. Okay, so we all have calculations, we've got spreadsheets, we might use the valuation ultimate software that we made or someone else's software. And we may feel that our job is to get the numbers in, get the data in, point and click, make the changes, you know, maybe do some charts. Hey, how good does that look, Mr. or Mrs. Client? But at the end of the day, if we're not simulating the real world, then our valuation is probably not right. So in this podcast, we're going to pull back the curtain, what's and all. We're going to go through all the things that, that, that we as a community should be thinking about, should be asking each other about, challenging each other, and not letting people get away, not letting ourselves get away with doing those stupid three averages times three um, you know, kind of valuations. We're going to talk a lot about the mistakes that business valuers make on today's podcast. We're going to go through some of those, um, but we're going to we're going to be casual about it. We're going to be informal. We're going to make it a safe place. So we're also going to answer questions. So if you do have a question at any point, please email us at podcast at valuationultimate.com. Okay, you'll notice there we've also got business valuation software on that site. That's my the hat I'm wearing at the moment as the founder and CEO of the valuation software. But all of this content is completely valid, even if you don't want to use our software. And that's fine with us as well. Okay, so we're going to lift all the boats. We're going to bring the community together. And as a, as a community, we're going to do better valuation reports. Okay, so why why the software? 
And I get a lot of questions about why I make, why I make evaluation software. So as a valuer, I would always like to go the extra uh, above and beyond when I did my report. So one thing I like to do was this normalized PL. Okay, so we all you know, put a PL in our spreadsheet. So you know, typically we're, we're putting our PLs in the spreadsheets, or if we're lazy, we may be just starting with an EBIT line, you know, or a column for each period, doing our adjustments below that, you know, plus this, um, plus all these things, less all those things, and we get like a normalized EBIT or EBITDA or whatever profit measure we're using. Okay, and we move on and we might look at the balance sheet. We'll do averaging multiple than the balance sheet, etc. And for a lot of values, that's where they stopped. I like to go and say, well, we've normalized the PL now. Why can't we look at what a normalized PL looks right looks like? Particularly if we're going to do some charts, we're going to um, do some ratios, or uh, talk about those ratios in some meaningful way. Well, we've just changed the the profits. We've just changed some of those income and expenses. And so in Excel, I would I would first enter all the data in the full PL format for all the all the periods. You know, typically five. I would then do adjustments at the bottom of that or in a different tab. Then in an extra tab, I would, I would clone that PL again and then painstakingly um, for each account and period combination, I would go and put a cell reference back to the adjustments, you know, one at a time. And so I'd know if I if I was right because it would all, uh, the normalized profit at the bottom line would eventually equal what my normalized profit was after my adjustments. But the problem with that was if I wanted to add a period or add an account or changing the adjustments, I was constantly going back and trying to find out where am I out. Hopefully it was just one thing and I could find that exact number with a control F, but often it was two or three, so you didn't you couldn't find it. You had to go through, find multiple things that added up to it. It was absolutely painful, but I'd still do it every job. It would add an extra one to two hours in every job. Whether people appreciated it or not, I'm not sure, but it allowed me to talk then about a normalized PL. Okay, so that was the first thing I built. I started building Excel macros around that, then I decided this is a bit clunky. Um, I already knew software development from other things I'd done. So I went out and I started uh, valuation software. And initially it was just to do that. So it was just to say, I want to I want to see a PL on the screen. I want to point and click, make some adjustments. And I want a normalized profit and loss statement just to turn up. I don't want to do any wrangling of that. And if I change the periods or I change the accounts or any of the numbers, I just want that to still turn up. And I want to be able to basically export that as an Excel or a PDF and include that in my report. And, and that we built that, that didn't take that long. Um, you know, I had a bit of a learning curve to, to work out sort of what's gonna be the easiest, most efficient way to get the data in. So we had to build all that part of it. We had to build the reports that we could then point and click on and produce the other reports on the results. And as we did that, I'm thinking, why can't we build the whole report? Okay, so then we start going, okay, well, we've got a word template. So we start with that, you know, everyone's got their own word templates. How do I build a word template or my word template into this thing, into software? That's not as easy as you think, but we did that. And then what if we want to change it so it needs to be fully customizable? So we just kept building and building and then looked at and said, well, why can't we have a client portal? Uh, I'm sick of emailing things around. Um, it'd be nice if a client could log in, fill in the questionnaire online, uh, all online, all secure. And then uh, when I finish the report, I can release it to the portal and notify them. They can log in and download it. We can invite their lawyers in or their, their accountants or other directors, whoever we need to. And it's all this very professional, secure place where all this stuff happens. And as I built it out, I started thinking about, well, should I build in these black box algorithms that everybody else seems to have? And this, when I when I looked at what else was out there, when I was looking at, you know, do I just use someone else's software? There was really two types of software out there. There was the black box algorithm, like I said, where you go and uh, answer these questions and then you get this mysterious multiple fall at the bottom. And the software companies that make those things, um, you know, they're sometimes frowned upon because 
Um, you might get a question about you've answered this thing one to 10. It could be how much does the business rely on the owner and you answered seven. You know, you might have answered 49 other questions. You've got, you've got a model of 2.9. And you might be getting asked a question about how much did that one question affect the value. You've got absolutely no idea because you don't have access to the model. And you might get the question of well, why did you say seven out of 10? Why not six? Why not eight? What would they look like? So you've got this issue where you've got this false sense of precision using any of these kind of black box. And the more and more I talk to other expert valuers all around the world, particularly in the US, it is very frowned upon, it seems, to have any kind of automation or um, you know anything hidden in your valuation calculations. You're much better off just saying, hey, uh, I'm good at this because I've got this background in education and experience. Here is the information I've considered. So here's the evidence. And here is um, my thought process and how I'm going to simulate what I think the market value is using whatever methods and calculations are appropriate for those for that situation. But at the end of the day, you as a valuer, you're being paid to give your opinion. It's your advice. It's not a fact. It's not a magic multiple. It's not a magic lookup table. The amount of times I've gone into court and everybody, including the judges, assumes I had some kind of magic table to look multiples up in. I have to explain to them, no, it's, a, it's all about judgment because we're simulating the real world and the people in the real world don't have these magic tables anyway as well. But we've got source of, of data that we can look for comparables and adjust, but we don't have this magic, you know, precision, the be all and end all book. Uh, and, you know, the average person's probably never going to understand that, uh, but that's okay that we don't pretend amongst each other that we do have that book, okay? And that's where we've got to call each other out. We've got to say to each other, you know, I've seen valuers turn up to court and say, you know, I've got this magical number based on comparable evidence, but not provide any details at all about the comparable evidence. And how do you think that goes when the barrister starts asking about the source of data? Completely turned to dust. You don't have to do that. You can get away with saying what you think and giving your very reasonable, justified reasons why. Because at the end of the day, uh, yes, based on the evidence, based on what research you can find, do the best job you can. But at the end of the day, it is just an opinion. Okay, so... As I started building this out and started you know, using these reports in my own practice, I started saying, well, it'd be nice if we had that portal. Okay, we'll build that, build the questionnaire in. It'd be nice if I could make charts. Okay, we better build a chart building, um, you know, customization kind of module. We'll do that. It'd be nice if I could do forecasts. Okay, we'll build that in. It'd be nice to have checklists if I've got some juniors helping them out. They, I, I can give them the checklist and they can prove to me they've done the done the done um, each task. I can see progress, I can build that in. So we just kept building and building all these things. So we get to a point where I'm thinking, you know what, maybe others could use this software. And at the time, I'm still thinking, um, you know, but do I want to give my competitors this software? You know, is this software now my competitive advantage? And I've, again, I've seen other valuers uh, have made software and all it seems to be is a lead generation tool for their valuation practice. I looked at the other one and said, well, I get a lot of referrals from other accountants. And I can't, I can't deal with them all a lot of the time. There's just too much work. If I could give those accountants a tool where they could, you know, do their own, at least not necessarily the court divorce work, but maybe they're just looking at whether something's worth um, shifting, you know, some shares around, some stock around in an entity um, to restructure. What's that going to cost in in taxes, for example? You know, even just doing some initial feasibilities on that, or you've got clients that want to, you know, would like to know what the business is worth, maybe looking at selling through succession planning to an external, you know, buyer later on, or maybe as an internal succession planning, some employees or family members buying in or something like that. You know, the most accountants have the base skills to be able to do basic valuations. They just don't have the tools and they don't have the confidence. So I thought, well, if we can build this thing out and we can make it a little bit more 
brandable, you know, generic enough so that it's not just my way of doing it. You can come at it. You're more than welcome to use the default ways of doing it, but you can bring your own ways. If you like to do, if you like to treat, you know, income tax liability as a surplus liability or as an operating liability, either way, you can do both. So we're not going to make you do that. If you want to do your multiples based upon just coming out with a number or you want to build it up from scratch using a risk-free rate plus, plus, plus all the way through to alphas and do away average cost capital, you can do that if you want to. If you want to use comparable data, if you want to pull in some deal stats data or some other data or some data for some businesses for sale online, you can bring that in too. You can do whatever you like. And that was, to be honest, building the software, the first year or two were to make it for me that I could use and I was using it on every job. And the next two to three years was now making it so that it wouldn't break when other people tried to do it the way they want to do it. Okay, and since we've launched the software, it's now been about just giving people those nice things that they that they don't really need, but they want to have. They want to have, they'd be able to put the branding in and change the colors and change the words on this report, be able to customize certain things certain way. And so a lot of that is just aesthetics, but it's important to them. So now we're building that in, we're supporting them to make sure they're having a, you know, have comfortable experiences in the software. So as I've been doing this, you know, my whole days now, I pretty much, you know, I do the odd valuation for, for ongoing court work or where I've got lawyers that are just used to using me. I'm still taking their work on, doing a lot of divorce cases that way. But I'm also, I'm turning away a lot of work where I'm saying to the accountants or the brokers or the CFOs, hey, you, you might be able to do this yourself. Um, here's a tool you can use. It's a lot cheaper than giving me the money to do the valuation. Then you can either make that money or save that money. And I've got some training you know, we've got uh, on our website, in the variationultimate.com, we've got webinars. So very regular, I run a three-hour training webinar. We've got a recording on there. So I point them to that and say, well, if you need some variation training or a top-up, um, you have three hours there, skip through that, look at whatever whatever appeals, and then you've got some training. And that training was really my variation 101, everything I've learned that you'd need to know sort of to get the basics down and some tips, you know, and, and mistakes to, to avoid. So uh, we've now launched the software. People are using it. Uh, but we're still finding that people are scared to do valuations. They still want to refer to valuers, expert valuers, or they're just not going to touch at all because they don't know what the multiple should be. Again, they're falling for this myth. You know, that when I started doing valuations, I thought the same thing. Emperor's new clothes. I'm running around naked making these multiples up where I thought that all these other valuers knew the multiple. They, they sound so confident. You talk to any broker selling businesses, they are, they're so confident about what they think a business would sell for. You look at reality, most businesses for sale don't sell, and the ones that do, it's completely negotiable. Okay, so there's absolutely science behind it. You should absolutely be using all the evidence and the comparable data you can find, but at the end of the day, you have to use that judgment. And that's the first hurdle I find with a lot of um, people coming into valuations, or even have been in it for a while, is they just have this inferiority complex about, well, I don't know what you know what to do with this model, but what if I get it wrong, I'm going to get in trouble. So I think my role has been in running the training and talking to accounts all around the world and brokers and CFOs is it the, the multiple absolutely matters. It's a very, very material, sensitive thing in evaluation, but you can never get it right. You've got to do your best you can on the evidence that's available. And you've done your job. People always think it's going to be higher. Other people always think it's, it should be lower. Okay, you've just got to say hand on heart, you've looked at the higher case or the lower case, you've looked at all the evidence and you think this is the most probable. In a real life situation the most probable model that a buyer and seller would come up come up with if you're looking at a market value thing if we're looking at special value that's a different kind of thing but here we're talking about a buyer and a seller getting together under the standard market value or fair market value kind of definition what would they come together at what information would they have and how would they make their decisions you're ignoring any particular 
um, you know, leverage each, either party would, would have. Okay, so like I said before, buyers and sellers also don't have magic multiple books. Um, they have the same access that we've got. Um, it might take them longer to get their head around things. We, we, we can be more efficient because we do it every day, but we're using deal stats. We're using public company data. We're using rule of thumbs in certain industries. Or we're building things up using, you know, doing discount rates from scratch from risk-free, um, you know, plus market risk premiums and alphas, that kind of stuff. Okay, so in this podcast, I hope that gives you a bit of a flavor about why this podcast, how it's going to be different, whether you're a current practitioner or you're thinking about getting into valuations, it should make you a bit more comfortable. And also, as I was doing more and more, basically property, uh, not property, uh, software development, uh, I was spending most of my days, you know, getting this thing launched with a small team of developers. Um, and I found that the software development industry is very, very good at, again, pulling back the curtain and sharing the warts and all with each other. Okay, there's a lot of podcasts in the software industry where people will come on and it's all about how hard software is to write. It's never perfect. It's all about trade-offs. You're trading off speed versus um, you know, correctness or security versus something else. It's always a trade-off. You know, it's about precision versus scalability. And, and it's the same kind of things that same kind of issues that we have. Well, I guess most most professions have. You've got the the textbook stuff. You've got to get it right. Then everything else. The, the, the judgment is how to make that judgment. What kind of things to consider. And it's okay to have a bad you know bad judgment on, on first run, but having a review process so you have better you know review things, pick up your own mistakes, or have a peer review kind of process. So I'm hoping this podcast becomes almost that water cooler talk for people that don't have a bunch of you know competent valuers around them. They might be sole practitioners, or they might be the anointed valuer in the big firm, or they might be the CFO doing valuation work. Um, so the whole idea is that you've got you've got me, you've got the guests we're going to we're going to interview, you've got people that you can just sort of embed yourself with, so that you can get thinking about the valuations the way you should be thinking about, it and not living in your little silo and only what knowing what you know. Every time I talk to another valuer, I learn something. Every business valuation job I do. I learn a new way of looking at businesses. I learn a new, you know, sometimes I've thought I've invented methods and I've found out, no, that's actually a method. Well, it made sense to me when I invented it. Well, it's because it was already invented. Those kind of things where you just, you know, pick up a new textbook and just see what people are doing these days. Even if you were a genius five years ago, pick up a textbook. Go to someone else's valuation training. I get a lot of feedback from other forensic accountants on my valuation training because they think some of the things I'm a bit of a contrarian on, and maybe it's just because I'm a little bit more, I'm a bit um, skeptical about the shortcuts that valuers make and the, the things that we say as valuers that seem black and white, but there's more gray. Um, I guess, you know, if out of all the textbooks, I'm more of a Mercer fan than a Pratt fan, even though Pratt has um, passed away now, but his textbooks were fantastic and the Typically, the first textbook I'll ask people to, to read if they if they need to read up. Mercer's the second because he's he will say how he feels. He doesn't care what people think about it. It goes against the grain a lot of things, but it makes a lot of sense when you look at the maths as well. So when you're talking about things like taking the a DCF and an FM, a CFME capitalization of earnings method and saying you know what they're actually the same thing under the hood, but you've got some very rigid assumptions to make it so, but they are the same. Uh, where others will gloss over that or not even mention it. So that's why. You know, I'm in the, more in the Mercer camp of why don't we all just talk about the elephant in the room? Let's get it out there. And then um, it doesn't mean that we can't still do our variations with confidence, but it's about confidently having opinions, not having a, a calculation where you can say someone with, with precision that's a perfect calculation. There has never been a perfect perfect business variation report. There never will be. It's about just doing the best you can with what you've got.
Okay, so our goal was to give the tools, give the training, um, have a safe place where competent valuers, whether they're using the valuation ultimate software or not, place we can share, uh, we can bring new ideas in and we can debate old ideas. So we're gonna talk now about top mistakes that I see. So again, I run these regular trainings and these are the things that I'll bring up all the time. I, I do a lot of training with lawyers and these are the things I'm telling lawyers look out for in a business valuation report. You'd be surprised how many lawyers will instruct valuers and not even read the report, right? Or they'll read down as far as they find the first number that looks like the number they need and they stop reading. They don't read all the warnings, they don't read the assumptions. Um, and to be honest, a lot of those things are in there to protect the valuer. But the, the read of the reports, scanning till they find the number, you know, and then using that number and moving on. Now, that's unless, you know, another forensic accountant is, uh, you know, trying to find mistakes. That's, you know, different. They're going to look at every single, every number, every paragraph. Not understanding enterprise value versus goodwill versus share value, equity value. Okay, so mistake we see, even in court expert reports, uh, I'm sure this is happening all around the world, is um, you're doing profit times multiple equals goodwill. Okay. You might say, well, sometimes that's appropriate. Yes, sometimes it is, but it's under very specific circumstances, under certain methods. So here I'm talking about a method where we get, where we're using earnings. So typically a capitalization of future maintainable earnings. So anything where we're taking some part, you know, some past profits, averaging them, uh, or normalizing them, averaging them, applying a multiple. Okay, we're talking about that, or we're talking about something like a discounted cash flow, looking at the future cash flows, typically before interest after tax, but not necessarily but we're discounting them back at a discount rate to punish it for risk and time value of money. And we get the sum of all those gives us a present value. We might have a terminal value as well, but we get a present value and that thing is enterprise value. So wherever we're getting to something that's enterprise value, um, we know as good valuers that that's not, we haven't finished yet because if we've been asked to value the goodwill if we've, or if we've been asked to value the shares, there's extra steps we have to do. So to value the goodwill, we need to look at uh, I've got the enterprise value, so I write one check, I get all those things that I need to run the business and nothing I don't, and I hope to make that expected profit. Now, what are the things I need? We need to go and look for this business, for this industry, have a look at the balance sheet, do some external research if you need to, but what are the kind of things this kind of business would need in the future? It doesn't necessarily have to correlate with what they've got now. The business owner might be running it badly now. But what should this business need in the future? And that's typically your stock, uh, receivables, payables, creditors, um, tax provision, all those things typically are what we call ordinary net operating assets. They're included. And so your enterprise value has to be over that hurdle before you start looking like you've got implied goodwill. And if you've got goodwill, you can then move on. And your share value is then the sum of all the net assets at, at their value, not necessarily the book value, plus that goodwill, which should also be equal to the enterprise value plus surplus assets that weren't ordinary required minus surplus liabilities and debts that were normally required, that will give you also equity value. So just if you looked at a lot of valuation reports and just looked at that test, has profitized multiple equal goodwill uh, when it shouldn't, uh, should have equaled enterprise value. And if even if they've got to enterprise value, have they done the dance from there to goodwill properly? Have they looked at every asset liability and worked out what's ordinary? So that's where we see the biggest mistake. Um, or even worse, they'll go provenance model equal share value. I've actually seen a value in a court report say profit dies model equal share value. And he, he had the words in his report, the the terms enterprise value, goodwill, and share value are interchangeable terms. Okay, so you're going to see this stuff. This is a particular person who actually writes textbooks. And so, you know, you can't, uh, it's not that you can't trust anybody, but you need to be very skeptical about things you're reading. And when you're doing your own report, you need to put that skeptical hat on. And think about if someone's going to challenge this, is, is this my best work? 
Now when I say best work, you could still have different scopes. So under different uh, standards, whether you're professional standards or the international standards, we can do different kinds of valuations. We could do full scope valuations, we could do limited scope, we can even do appraisals, you know, or calculation only engagements. Yes, so we don't have to do our best work all the time in every job, but we have, we have to do within the scope we've agreed with the client and we have to do our best work for that scope. All right, so I'm not saying we have to do all the bells and whistles, I'm just saying what you do has to be competent. The other thing we, we see all the time is, is mixing and matching multiples. So we talked before about the multiple in a CFME method, so capitalization, future maintainable earnings, when I say CFME, and that's going to give us enterprise value. And remember, as Mercer would say, that the CFME method and the DCF method are the same thing. We're getting the same result. It is the same enterprise value. We get there different ways. One, we're looking at present value of future cash flows, and the other, we're looking at some weighted average, potentially, of normalized profits. They don't have to be backwards looking. You can include forecasts in a CFME method. But you're generally using past as the base, and then you know maybe one or two forecasts, then you're doing some kind of weighting across that. That's giving us enterprise value. That's what that multiple does. We can't go and use a multiple that we've found. We've talked to a broker. He says, oh, in this industry, it's easy. People that I've seen are paying 2.5 times um, EBITDA or PEBITDA or whatever. Let's just say it's EBITDA. Um, we can't just go and use that against our profit in our CFME method even if we've got EBITDA as a base, not that we should necessarily, but even if we did, because they're different things. The first problem is that probably what's happened is the, the broker's given you a goodwill multiple. So they've said, okay, oh, I've got some multiples for you. Okay, this business sold for, uh, just to make the numbers easy, 2.5 million, and it had a million profit. And so a 2.5 multiple. The question that the value didn't ask is what was, what was divided by what to get that multiple. And so the numerator is the most important thing there because... If I don't know the numerator, when I multiply my profit by the multiple, I don't know what my result is. So most of the time we're looking at comparable data, uh, particularly if we're talking to brokers or we're looking at you know, transactions, a lot of the time it's a goodwill multiple. And so it's goodwill divided by some level of profit. So when we apply our some level of profit, we're getting goodwill. Okay, So that's the one time that we can um, you know, get goodwill directly, but we can't necessarily use that in a CFME method because it's, it's a very different approach. If you go back to the textbooks, like you've got your income approaches, which care about return on investment. That's a CFME, that's a DCF, and a few other variants of that. You've then got your market approaches where we, we're going to look at a completely different way of looking. We look at market-specific data. We've got to have data, or at least a rule of thumb. And we're going to go and find some data, median or average it, or harmonic mean. We're going to adjust it if we think we need to. And then we're going to apply our subject company profit measure to that multiple. Okay. But we have to get the same outcome. We have to get the same numerator that they had. The problem with using that in a CFME method is in a CFME method, we're doing these wonderful things particularly, you know, where we're going looking back and maybe forward, we're normalizing, we're doing our averages. We didn't do any of that when they, presumably when the broker gave us the model, gave us the model they didn't do all that. They just said that sold for this, here's the profit, whatever that profit was. Assuming we know those figures, they didn't go and normalize. They necessarily, well, they might have, but we, we don't necessarily know. They didn't do average of last three years or some kind of declining average, like 50, 30, 20 declining percentages of last three years. They didn't necessarily include forecasts. They just said it was this time, this divided by that gives the multiple. And so if we're going to use a market method and we're going to you know tick the boxes and what the textbook says we should be doing and protect ourselves under cross-examination, like you need to be doing, you're not, not hybriding and creating some Frankenstein's monster kind of method where you've got a bit of a CFME using a bit of a model. Now, we've all done it and we all will probably continue to do it at some point. 
is have a sneaky look at what people are paying as a sanity check at least. And sometimes that's the main uh, source of the multiple. But technically, that's not the not best way to do it. The better way to do it would be do, do a CFME, build up your multiple. If you think it's 2.7 because you think it's a good return on investment, say so. If you want to do it through risk-free rate plus, 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 fine. But then you should then do a market approach where you then, as a second scenario, um, not linked in the first scenario at all, and and if the subject if the if the data sets are non uh, normalized, so the metrics weren't normalized from the broker, then you don't get to normalize over there. You just you just do apples apples comparisons. Now you've got two scenarios. So one of the things we, I learned very early on building the valuation software is there's no reason why I can't get the data in once for an entity, and then I can I can run one two three four ten scenarios. It doesn't hurt the software. It hurts my Excel because now I've got to, what do I do? Duplicate tabs. What do I do now with my Word document? It's not structured to have multiple scenarios. I've got to scratch my head over that. So I built the software so that I could go, well, I've done the CFME. I've, I've built up the multiple this way. Now I'm going to, now I've got a little bit of data. It's not perfectly reliable. I'm going to have a look at it. I'm going to go and run a, a comparable transaction method. I'm going to do, use the same source data. I don't have to put it in again. I can decide whether I want to use the forecast I created in the first scenario or not, because that's all independent per scenario. I can copy them across or just not have them at all. I can bring adjustments across or not at all. Um, and I can basically build up this comparable transaction. I can do all that under best practice. Then I can take a breath and I'll finish that. And I'll say, well, I've now got two scenarios. As the valuer, I can, I'm now simulating that, okay, I'm the buyer. I've looked at this business two ways. What do I think is the most likely way I'd negotiate around that I think the seller would come to the table on? It's not just about the buyer. Market value is about the buyer and the seller's negotiation. But I might look at it and go, well, I think actually in this industry, often they'll use the market approach. So I'm going to put maybe a 70% weighting on that and maybe a 30% weighting the CFME. Now, if that's what I think is most reasonable, reflecting the reality of the real world, it's the simulation, hand on, hand on heart, the best I can do, then I'm not wrong. That's my opinion. Okay, so the, the software, I've built it so that I don't have any friction when I want to do that kind of stuff. Now, if I want to explain it, okay, there's a nice place I can write some words, some paragraphs, some whole pages if I like to. Um, I can include third-party research as an image or a PDF. I can do any of that stuff. And it's up to me to add, you know, sprinkle that on. The software's not going to do that stuff for me. The software's not going to tell me what multiple to use. I can build the multiple in the software. I can get it from a third party, do it however I like and bring that in, right? It's not about the multiple. It's about having a safe place with, got, you know, guardrails that I could do my best work. Um, it's got validations built in, so I've completely stuffed something up. It's going to warn you. You can run a validation report anytime. It's going to tell you what you've probably failed, some suggestions to make and where you've been perfect in terms of what we can predict from what you've done in the software. And that's all automated. Um, so, you know, don't make the mistakes of trying to hybrid two different methods together just because you don't know how to do that in Excel or Word. You know, use our tool, build your own tools or take the time to do it in Excel and Word. But there's no reason why you just have to pick the one method, okay? Very, very rarely do I see in anyone's variation reports more than one scenario, but you pick up any valuation textbook, they all suggest it. They all say, hey, why don't you look at it multiple ways? Okay, even if you've got a, got one way you're darn sure it's going to be done, but you want to do the other ways as, as a sanity check. Okay, that's the main sort of area we see the mistakes is just that hybrid approach, um, you know, using the wrong kind of multiple, or even when you're doing a comparable transaction, just using businesses or data that's not comparable. You know, or doing guideline public company method using publicly listed data, which is all great and robust and whatever, but you're valuing a $1 million turnover business. So you might get, you know, a, a normalized, not normalized, but a, a harmonic mean EBITDA model of 8.5 from the comparable data. And that's great. 
and then you say, but say for size difference, call it 2.7. What was the point of that? If you if you hand on heart think it should be 2.7, that's your advice, then say so. And then take the time to write out your thought process. You know, you've done this a long time. You've read the textbooks. You, you know, you've done all the research. You look at real transactions. Why do you think 2.7 is the number? Not because 8.5 was the public company data and then you want to wipe out 70% of that for size. That's that's a gimmick, okay? And that's where as valuers, we should be pulling each other pulling each other sort of to the side and going, hey, do you really want to be putting that in your report? If you believe it's 2.7, back yourself. You know, there's not enough of that. There's a, there's too much the smoke and mirrors. Like I keep saying, the Emperor's New Clothes, I say it over and over. We're all running around uh, pretending. We don't need to. I think personally back in, when I've been in the witness box, I find that the it seems that I get trusted, you know, the demeanor of the, the cross-examiners and the, and the judge, that it's all, everything goes better if I'm completely brutally honest. If I say and point to, here are the limitations of my report. No, I didn't have audited accounts. No, I didn't have an equipment valuation. I've gone off the book the book values or I've gone off the owner's estimate. If I'm completely honest about that, if I'm completely honest about how I derive the multiple, the trust owner goes up because the court understands this thing can't be known. That's why you need an expert. The expert's the only person they're allowed to have an opinion as a witness, and that's what we're there for. So just do the work, understand the business, understand the industry, understand the valuation methods you could apply, understand what best practice looks like, don't make the you know obvious mistakes, and apply judgment. Don't be biased. Don't have the blinkers on. Don't be afraid to go and talk to other valuers, talk to brokers, find out what's going on in the real world. Okay, so that's that's the wrap-up of the mistakes. So we're going to wrap it up there. Now we're going to keep running these episodes. We're going to interview. We've got a great bunch of uh, other valuers and brokers and people, you know, thought leaders in the, in the industry, in and around the industry. We're going to interview, and then it's going to add some flavor. So it doesn't have to be all about me. It's not about me. It's about lifting all the boats so we can get a basic level of competence. No matter who you are, if you've got some basic accounting skills, understand something about analyzing businesses. I've built the tool for you um, with guardrails that you can do at least a, a, you know, a competent valuation. If you're a court expert doing very complicated cases, I've had cases where there's 12 or more entities all interlinked, unrelated owners, owners across that group in different uh, percentages. That all links through perfectly. You can set those equity structures up you can ask questions of the software about the equity and debt interests of particular people. It'll give you a nice little summary report and answer on those. So you can do all that complicated stuff. Or you might just want to use the software to do your calculations and include that as a dependency in your current report. If, you still, if you're attached to your Word document, you want to keep that for the time being or forever, just use the software to do that. Some people just use the software to create forecasts and to run charts and things like that. Just use it for their business analysis and their consulting work. With the tool's there. You're more than welcome to use it. It's a very cheap um, one-off fee per, per each job. There's no subscriptions. There's no lock-ins at all. If you don't like it after the first job, just stop using it. Okay. I'm addicted. I'm sure you'll become addicted too because there's no way after using the software or any kind of automated tool, you're going to go back to Excel or Word because you can go back to that clunkiness of changing things, you know, updating the report if you get new information, all that kind of stuff that's a pain. Um, with software, whether it's ours or if someone else makes great software, use that. Some kind of modern software where you don't have to worry about wrestling Excel or Word. There's no friction there. You just do your best work. And if you have a different thought or get new information, you change the report. And then you've got the new version of your best work based on the information that's available at the time. So go to our training if you haven't already, uh, valuationultimate.com slash training. And you'll see there, there are regular webinars and the recordings. You can subscribe there and get the recording. It's all free. We don't charge for that. 
Um, if you're playing around with the valuation um, or you want to check out our software, just even replicate one of the ones you've already done just to see, make sure we get the same numbers you got, you might find you've made a mistake. Um, we're yet to have someone show, find a calculation mistake in our software, but we're more than happy and obviously we'd love to find it if there are uh, different interpretations, um, different, you know, or, or bugs in the software. As I said, most of the stuff we work on these days are aesthetics. They like this kind of report shown this way or they want this way of customizing something. But if you want a different method you don't think we cover properly um, or you've got a suggestion you think a lot of people would benefit from, then we build it in, not a problem. Um, if you've got a question that we want you want us to cover on the podcast, then just email us at podcast at valuationultimate.com and I'll answer those um, completely honestly. Even if I don't know the answer, we might get some experts in to help answer some of those things. Um, and if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you think you've got something that other valuers would love to hear about, whether you're a valuer or you're a broker or you're a university lecturer, you know who I'm talking to, um, give me an email, phone call, hit us up. I uh, would love to interview you and share that knowledge because one thing we don't want this podcast to be is about me. I'm here as a facilitator. I've got some things to say. I've had a, a long career doing a lot of complicated stuff. Always seems to always wherever I've worked has always seemed to be the person that gets the hard stuff. And when I started my own practice, I seemed to be to getting referrals from people that thought they needed the person to do the hard stuff, which is great for fees because hard stuff generally pays more. But it, what it also has done, it stretched um, my little silo of working just in where you know on the things I work in. The, the things I work in is so broad with so many things that are impossible. I say to my staff, we'll, we'll look at a job and go, this is this is almost impossible, but we've done. X number of reports and we're yet to um, start a report and not finish it. I've never, I've been halfway through reports sometimes thinking, I don't think, you know, I don't know what to do here. I've never got to the end of a report and not come up with something sensible. Okay. Sometimes it could go sleep on it, talk to a few people, find an expert in a particular industry. But um, you know, at the end of the day, it's your opinion. You cannot, you can't be wrong if you do the work. So we'll leave it there. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We've got many more coming up. Subscribe um, through your podcast player. Never a charge for that. Even if it says subscribe, you're not going to be ever charged for anything like that. And if you're worried about getting notified and you want to make sure you are, then uh, if you register for our free training or if you download the free business valuation report from our software at valuationalbook.com, you'll get on the database. We'll be sure to notify you when a new podcast comes out or there's anything interesting we need to tell you about. Bye for now.